Hello, I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. And welcome to the latest Traveling 2 radio show, coming to you today from sunny Wisconsin. Yeah, we've uh, been, what, about three months in North America, and uh, all the way from California up to see my sister in Alberta, and now down in Wisconsin. It's been a fun time rediscovering our home territory, as it were, and we're getting closer and closer to what we consider our real home, which is the maritime region in the very east of Canada, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, and still trying to figure out what in the world we're going to do when we get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll figure out something. Hey, you never know, we might hop back on the bike again, yeah. go somewhere else. You just never know. We're uh, kind of feeling like we might want to break from things, at least for the winter, but the bets are certainly out within our family and friends as to whether we'll really stay put for very long. We're just going to have to find out when we get there, I guess, and we'll probably talk about it all the way there and maybe come no closer to any conclusion as to what we should do. But but in the meantime, we've been chatting to cyclists that we meet along the way, and today we had the opportunity to talk over the internet to a cyclist we've been wanting to meet for a very long time. Yeah, we almost met him when we were in the Middle East. Uh, I think we missed him probably by, you know, a couple hundred kilometers or something like that. And uh, he's just finished his long trip uh, what, last year, I believe? Yes, he just finished last year going all the way from Japan to Britain in three years. And now, after a bit of a break, he's on his bike again and about to head down through Africa, raising money for malaria. So his name is Peter Gostolo. You may know him from Crazy Guy on a Bike because he had a very popular journal there when he was doing that trip back home to England. With, and With he, some just magnificent pictures. That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> We've been together so long, we think exactly the same things at the same time. He does. He has some amazing photography and some excellent writing as well. So we were really happy that we were able to catch up with him. Well, Peter, first I'd like to welcome you to our little podcast. And thanks so much for joining us from Britain. It's the first time we've done an interview over the Internet. So welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to finally speak to you on the phone after we've been in, in contact for the last 18 months or something like that. So it's great to finally talk with you. Yes, it's wonderful. I guess we hooked up during your last trip, which was three years now. Help me out with this. From Japan to Britain, is that correct? Yeah, Japan to England, the long ride home. I was in Iran. I think you were in Turkey or Syria. And I was asking a question about visas or money or border crossings and I came across your website and we very nearly crossed paths but I can't remember exactly how you were either behind me or ahead of me and yeah we missed each other by a few days which was a shame. Yeah, <laughs> ships in the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. That's how it goes sometimes. Well, I have to say, I'm really excited to hear that you're planning a new trip through Africa for entirely selfish reasons, because I loved <laughs> journals and photography last time, and knowing that we're on sort of the final stretches of our journey, I'm very happy to know that I'm going to have something to entertain me through the Canadian winter. So tell us all about your new trip that's coming up in just a couple weeks or so. That's right. Well, actually, this, this coming Sunday, so in, in less than a week, uh, I'm setting off on the next major trip uh, on on a different bicycle from England to Cape Town. Now, this trip was in my mind, I suppose, even when I was on the road before, uh, um, traveling overland from, from Japan to England. I'd been, I traveled in Africa about seven or eight years ago, not with a bicycle, just backpacking. And I think I just fell in love with something about the, the people, the places, the simplicity of life, the landscapes. And I always wanted to return. And when I discovered the, the joy of traveling on a bicycle, 
Um, Africa was in my mind the whole time, and I came back to the UK about a year ago with this trip in mind, and I spent the last year uh, working, saving some more money, reading about more tra cycling travelogues, and basically just sort of getting myself ready to, to take off again. And now the time has come and I'm, I'm soon to depart. Uh, but I won't actually be in Africa, at least because I'm traveling first through, through Southern Europe, so France, Spain, uh, and, and Portugal. So I'm easing my way back into it. And uh, I'm excited, but also I think a little bit nervous about heading off again. <laughs> Is it just the actual emotions of departure that have you nervous? Or are you nervous about Africa at all? Because it must be one of the world's toughest cycling destinations, or at least I imagine it to be. A little bit nervous about Africa, but being back in England, I think ignorance from a lot of people, and also for myself, sort of puts doubts about places in my mind. Um, but it's, it's not so much that I'm afraid of Africa. I think it's partly more a, a general thing about leaving again on the bicycle uh, by myself and uh, having already done a big trip before I'm going off again and I sort of spend a lot of time in this last year with a bit of self-reflection asking why am I doing it and uh, is this the right thing to be doing when people around me are sort of moving on and, <laughs> and doing different things uh, but then I have to remind myself of all the, the pleasures I had from the last trip and my interest in photography and the answer is quite quite simple why I'm doing it. You know, I, I'm passionate about, about traveling and, and seeing new places and documenting them with the camera or writing about them. Um, and I have the opportunity to do this. So uh, I remind myself why I want to do it. And and now that I'm about to depart, I am yeah very much looking forward to it. Uh, but I think over the last sort of six, eight months have definitely been sort of periods of doubt. But I think when, once you stop for a long time, that's just natural. Uh, that's natural. So give us the synopsis of your trip. You're going to go down through Europe, into Morocco, and then what? Yeah, into Morocco. Uh, Morocco is probably going to be one of the only countries where I'm going to experience uh, any mountainous, well, true mountainous scenery. And, and from my last trip, uh, I tended to sort of cycle where the mountains were. So I'm looking forward to heading up into, into the Atlas Mountains it's going to be quite cold, so I'm going to be taking a fair bit of warm weather clothes. But as I head further south into the deserts of, of Western Sahara and Mauritania, it'll still be quite cold, but it'll be starting to get warmer, um, and I'll cross into to Senegal. Um, my, my route is not set in stone. It's not planned specifically because of lots of things. I think just the whims of how I feel at the time, what other people suggest. But one option is to continue along the, the west coast from uh, Senegal into Gambia back to, to Senegal and Guinea um, and Sierra Leone, Liberia, uh, Ivory Coast, through um, to Togo, Benin, uh, Ghana, Cameroon, Nigeria, sorry, Cameroon, um, and continue heading, heading all the way along the coast to, to South Africa. There are other options. I, I can head inland um, through Mali, Burkina Faso, um, and I'd also like to sort of try and combine this west part of Africa with the, with Eastern Africa. Uh, so I spent a lot of time looking at trying to, to cross the center of Africa, but there is no easy, simple, or at all safe overland route through Central Africa. For me, it kind of represents a, a big adventure and challenge, but I think when I get closer to these places, I'll have a, a clearer idea of whether it is a sensible thing in any way at all to do or whether it would be better to 
to avoid it by flying over Central Africa or just to stick to, to West Africa. So lots of lots of options, plans, if they're made, you know, they always change and to set it all out and plan it, um, inevitably it would never happen like that. And again, I'm sort of leaving with a kind of luxury of time in the sense that um, I don't have a fixed time plan for this uh, this trip. So if I need to spend longer in one place, then, then I'll do that. And uh, I think that's such an important thing on, on a trip like this. I suppose, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I suppose going down through Africa, it's all going to be reasonably temperate, if not hot, so you also don't have the concern of, of winter. I know that when, as we've been going around the world, one of the worries is we have to move on because it's going to get really cold. <laughs> we can't cycle otherwise, but... That's right. I mean, and also my last trip, it lasted much longer. I, I generally tried to avoid extreme climate. So when it was getting very cold in, say, Tibet, uh, when it was getting very cold in, in Iran and, and Syria, I, I generally headed in the direction where I was trying to avoid extreme temperatures. Um, and I'm also arriving in Morocco uh, once the, the summer has passed there. But I will, I will encounter at least one or two rainy seasons. So there will be extreme weather conditions uh, but nothing's going to be really that cold like on on the sort of asian leg so in terms of equipment it will be uh, and clothes it'll be minimal how difficult has it been to plan for this trip because there just isn't a lot of general knowledge out there on africa at least not from the perspective of a cyclist no no there's not i mean there are, there are of course guidebooks and and travelogues on the internet um, but planning it from a small, small English village in in the country, uh, it's it's often just in my mind. I, I just I get in contact with people over the internet, but my planning generally is always just a few weeks ahead. Um, I have a rough itinerary of where I'd like to be there, but I can't really plan it specifically. So I think just going with a, an open mind and expecting to have to adapt to things, possibly realize that I don't need this part of a this particular piece of equipment or I should have taken this um, you only really sort of know that more specifically when you when you're out there um, but a lot of contact of other people who are, who are making uh, trips in in Africa and uh, following their websites and um, just ex being prepared to, to adapt to to different situations let's talk about equipment because you mentioned that just in passing now I know this time you seem to be taking a lot of extra things that you didn't have on your first trip so run us through all the all the electronics and other gadgets you've picked uh, up well, you know if I can make a, a comparison between this trip and my last trip my last trip in hindsight was incredibly underplanned uh, I left with no real concept of what I was setting out to do I literally just put things into the pannier bags that I had with no particular order uh, and, I, and I set off with the sleeping bag, which was, you know, useless and uh, hardly any spare parts of the bike. Um, and I just sort of made it up as I went along. Whereas this time round, with, you know, having the experience behind me, I've spent a lot more time sort of researching equipment, almost too much, I think. Um, so what am I taking that's different? Well, I am taking a laptop, uh, a small notebook, and uh, I'm taking another camera, a similar camera to the one I used before. I'm taking a small audio device to record sounds. Um, I'm taking a mobile phone, which I never had on the uh, on the previous trip. Uh, iPod again, uh, MP3 player. I had that before. Uh, not drastic changes in sort of equipment. Uh, the bike itself is different. I'm, I've upgraded the bike. So well, well, on this trip, I'm using a, a steel bike with. A Rollhoff gear, so it's it's a thorn bike uh, made in England, and the gears are internal. Uh, anybody who's familiar with sort of 
expedition cycling will be quite familiar with with that particular um, gearing system it's a strong bike i don't expect there to be too many problems with it out on the road i think one difference of cycling through africa compared to parts of asia is i really don't expect to find many places where i can get any spare parts so the spare parts i'm taking are quite minimal in terms of things like spare spokes and the usual puncture repair kits and and cables um so i I feel more confident of leaving on a bike that i think will not break on me on route Uh, so there's been time uh, and money spent on planning on that specifically and then the other parts of the equipment well the same sort of pannier bags similar tent but slightly different uh, sleeping bag cooking stove pots and pans um but just a little bit more specific in terms of what particular one I wanted because I've had the time back here in the UK to research it. But, you know, I, I, I'd be the first person to tell anybody else who is asking me questions about it that at the end of the day, the, mo- the most important thing is you just get out there and do it because it's quite easy to procrastinate and spend a lot of time trying to get everything right. But nothing will ever be 100% right because you can't really prepare for it until you're actually out there. Um, so... You know, I'm, I'm glad that this departure is coming quite close. Spending more time cycling than more time on the internet, basically. <laughs> it is like that sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that one of the interesting things that we've talked about a little bit um, by email is that even though you're bringing this extra equipment for more peace of mind or, you know, better bike mm. and that sort of thing, it, it also creates an extra worry in itself in terms of how do you keep your hands on all this stuff do you get insurance and you worry about theft so can you talk a little bit about that and some of the thoughts you've had yes i mean just today i'm trying to to finally organize insurance and it's never very easy for a tour like this uh, a to be insured when you're cycling it can be quite difficult and to have everything insured um is also quite difficult i think looking back I, my philosophy was really that well if you're making such a very long tour something is always going to perhaps go wrong and you hope it's something small and unfortunately the last trip there were things that, that went wrong a few things were were stolen I, I lost the bag in a river and landslide and um, it was difficult to get over that and this time round I'm going to Africa I'm taking a little bit more expensive equipment um, in terms of camera equipment I, it is a worry on my mind but I know that if I if I spend too much time focusing all the negative things that, that might happen it will really remove from the joy of just being out there. So, and also touring by yourself is, is is obviously different from being as a two because you don't have somebody to watch over your bags if you're sort of leaving your bike somewhere. So there are all things like that, which I think from the last trip I've sort of adapted to and I, I know how to deal with it. But yes, it's it's always it's always an issue um, where to sort of what to take and where to pack it and it's safe to leave it. And what have you decided in terms of insurance in the end? So have you found something that will cover all your gear or? I found a, a company which, well, yes, it will insure me whilst I'm actually cycling to insure the bicycle. Well, I could insure the bicycle, but I think it's quite a, quite a lot of money just to insure the bike. I'm, le- I'm actually less worried about the bike being stolen than I am about smaller equipment, which is perhaps easier to, to conceal. Uh, so yeah, I have I have found insurance, but it won't. It's not going to cover everything. So I just have to, I think, accept that undertaking something like this um, is never going to be 
100% safe. But uh, you know, I, I don't want to, to focus on, on that aspect of things. It's just if I don't and something bad uh, does happen, then uh, I do have something to, to fall back on. A little extra uh, peace of mind, I guess, as you're yeah. riding through Africa. So when you think of the trip ahead, what do you think will be the best parts and what do you think will be the most challenging parts? I think the best parts, I think Africa, I mean, talking about it as a continent, the parts, I mean, I'm going to a lot of Africa that I've never been to before. I'm, I'm excited to sort of, it's the people, I think, that make that make Africa perhaps more so than a lot of the landscapes. I remember the, the dramatic mountainous landscapes in, in, in a lot of Asia will always stand out, but I think the people is something that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I remember traveling in Southern and East Africa before, and, and the music, uh, the rhythm, um, the life that just gets lived on a daily basis. Um, life is, is quite simple in Africa. People are poor, uh, but people don't sort of walk around worrying or planning so much about the future because um, luxury to do that in, in a sense. So it's connecting something with that. Um, I can't remember the second part, the second part of your question. Oh, the worst, the, the part that you're maybe dreading the most or the most worried about or you think will be the biggest challenge. I think, yeah, I think, I think the biggest challenge, well, because a lot of the places I'll be, be traveling through, well, the, the people are quite poor. And I think a lot of the, the countries are sort of security in the sense of dealing with, with perhaps police, um, who the sort of corruption on a, on a small scale of, of, of being a foreigner, being a white face and, and therefore automatically and quite rightly, I, I suppose, being seen as, uh, as a rich Westerner and then having to deal perhaps with them. Um, with demands, whether it be for, for a gift or money and having to perhaps just deal with that side of things. Um, you know, I've experienced it before in other countries and it makes you realize. So what's your strategy? Give us your strategy. Oh, uh, my strategy. There, there, never, <laughs> there never is a simple. You're at a border and I'm asking you for 10 bucks to cross. What are you going to do? Yeah, well, if, it, if, it, if, in that, if it's that situation, you know, I never, I would never bribe. I would never give money. I think you just stand your ground. You, you, you don't get worked up. You, you don't show that you're, you're afraid. You try to ease the situation if it, if it is going to sort of become problematic but I, I never sort of give in to sort of demands from petty officials who like the look of um, something and ask if I can give it as a gift so if that's going to be if that's going to work in Africa I, I hope so I did meet uh, one guy along the way and he said his strategy for borders when he thought it was going to be a bit tricky is he would sit down and he would smoke a cigarette and then he would just sort of use that time because smoking a cigarette was an acceptable way to sort of sit and observe things right and then he had the rest of the package he would just offer a cigarette to the guards and he found that would smooth his <laughs> way fun you know funny that you say that you know on my, on my last tour I mean I'm not a smoker, but I, there were times during that trip where I was smoking just a few cigarettes a day. And, and in a lot of places, yeah, cigarettes can be such a, a great leveler between strangers when there's a lack of communication um, that the offer of a cigarette can of, often sort of mean the difference of, you know, being seen as a friend or somebody who's good or just being somebody who um, who isn't. So whether that, that works in Africa, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's also debatable whether it goes with uh, cycle touring as well. <laughs> I'm not a smoker either, and I'm not sure I really should be advocating um, cigarettes to get across borders. But... I don't at all, but, but things like that just... Uh, Maybe some peppermints in your handlebar bag or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Perhaps a bit more novel, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, cigarettes are available everywhere, but perhaps some, some peppermint chews or something, they can't get them at the border. So. Yeah, go find some English toffees or something and bring them along. <laughs> yeah, they, maybe that will work. They might melt a bit, but um, yeah, it could, <laughs> could be effective. <laughs> um, one of the other things I really wanted to ask you about is your photography. And I know it's not just me. I know a lot of people really think that you take beautiful pictures. So how do you do it? Can you give the rest of us a few tips for um, fantastic photos on the road? <laughs> well, well, having a good camera, good camera helps, but it's not the most important thing. I think uh, whether it be taking photographs of, of landscapes or street scenes or people and portraits, um, it's really important to to have a sense of not rushing into taking a photo. I think a lot of people who ride a bike, um, if they want, to, when they take photos, whether it be on, sometimes just take quick snapshots. Um, I spend quite a lot of time uh, looking at a landscape um, and thinking how I want to take the photo. Um, whether it, whether it have whether it has anybody in it, whether it has the bike in it or myself in it, thinking a lot about the sort of composition. Uh, of the photograph and then changing some of the settings on the camera so I might spend five or ten minutes um, just taking uh, a photo of one river or mountain or, or valley or something like that um, and if I happen to be walking um, walking off the bike um, exploring sort of uh, a town and sightseeing um, you know I'd spend a lot of time I'd spend hours just exploring small um, bazaars and souks and looking down alleyways and and seeing things and thinking, well, that could be an interesting photo, and then taking it and then looking back and realizing, well, it's underexposed, I should change the settings. And all these things took, took a long time. Um, I mean, one of, I suppose one of the reasons I was out on the road for quite a lot of the time, and I didn't cycle such long distances during the day, is because if I was cycling in a landscape uh, where there was a lot to stop and see, um, my mind was often more focused on, on actually taking photos and documenting it than it was the actual cycling itself. Um, so quite a lot of trial and error, I think, with all so, sort of subject matter um, and um, just sort of attention to detail, you know, always making sure that the horizon would be level or, or the subject was um, in focus and uh, just things like that, basically. And I've, you know, no training in, in photography. I just, it was a hobby that I had from quite early on and I just sort of pursued it and it'll be the same, the same in Africa. I mean, photographing people is is perhaps always the hardest thing. Do you ask their permission? Sometimes, a lot of the time, other times no, um, and it really depends. Um, you know, there are times where I have people and I've got my camera and I think, wow, that's the shot there and I take it and sometimes they don't notice and I've got the photo that I wanted. Um, but other times, if people are aware that I'm, I've got the camera, um, I won't take a photo without asking their permission and sometimes they agree and then they strike a pose and then the photo that you saw is gone. At other times they don't want you to take a photo, therefore I, I generally don't. And there are occasions, as you know, when people will ask for money um, and generally it's, it's never been a policy of mine to sort of give money for photos. It makes me feel a bit uneasy um, and I, I still sort of toy with this because I sort of sometimes feel that um, people, particularly in, in poor places, if it's a source of income for them, then then, then why not? But it, it's not something that I sort of set out to go and easily do and sort of take pictures of people um, if they're going to ask ask for money. Um, I think I think sort of just creating, when, when you meet a stranger, um, and if you're interested in photographing them, it's to, I suppose, just to sort of come across in a sort of relaxed and friendly way um, and not just 
automatically get a camera and shoot and put it in front of their face, which sometimes you, you do see some people doing. Um, so time, time is important. And um, just a sort of a smile and uh, an understanding that perhaps you're interested in photography. Um, lots of lots of things like that, really. And one thing we should mention, which we probably should have talked about a lot earlier, but we'll start now, and, and that is that you're doing this trip for a charity. So tell us about that. It's to raise money for malaria? That's right. Yeah, my last trip wasn't for charity. And um, and this time around, um, I felt that I'd spent so much time sort of out on the road. It's quite sort of self-indulgent to be doing it again, particularly through Africa, without sort of putting something back. You know, malaria is a disease which kills more people in Africa than, than any other, and it, it affects, you know, many people in lots of different countries. Um, so it's not just one specific place. And the money that's being raised, I'm trying to raise a pound for every kilometer I cycle. And all the money raised is going on uh, mosquito nets. It's such a simple and uh, effective way of sort of preventing malaria. Um, just two pounds or five five dollars guarantees that somebody has a net and the charity i'm working with have bases or contacts in various places through africa whom i will hopefully meet with and, and be able to sort of help distribute the nets on route um so that's definitely one aspect of, of the the trip this time around that i didn't have uh, the time before um so i'm sort of focused on that and i will be a little bit more sort of restricted in terms of, well not restricted, but I have to plan a bit more specifically where I'm going to be in, in certain places. Uh, so a little bit more planning this time around and perhaps not quite as much time sort of just kicking back in a hammock and, <laughs> and, uh, and reading a book. So yes, I'm motivated about that as well. Now, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I think we're going to have to finish up because on my end, I, we haven't mentioned in this interview that I'm actually sitting in a campground using a wireless connection and it's just started to rain. <laughs> Which is really not conducive to um, computers and laptops and <laughs> doing interviews outside. So I was hoping it would go away, but I think we're going to have to seek shelter here. But before we do, let us know how, if people want to donate, how can they contribute to your cause? Yeah, the, the, web, the website which is set up for um, this trip in Africa is www.thebigafricacycle.com. And hopefully the web page is fairly easy to navigate. So... Um, on the home page or also on the charity quite onto the charity logo uh, to explain a bit about the charity and also why I'm supporting it and it's quite easy to make an online donation so anybody who's who's listening and would like to support the trip I'd be very grateful and, and it motivates me a lot to sort of see that people are um, supporting uh, me and the charity in that way so that would be great. Wonderful well Peter thank you so so much for joining us I'm really glad we were able to hook up yeah, me too. I'm sorry it's starting to rain. I know what it's like when you're out on the rain. <laughs> it rains, but it's kind of humorous, actually. I'm holding a little bit of—I uh, don't know if you know the Ortlieb folding bowls, but Andrew's thrown one of those to me, and so I'm sort of holding that over the computer and the microphone in the other hand. <laughs> so... Well, I would, I would, I would love to spend time, some time interviewing you because I've probably got lots of questions as well, but that'll have to wait for another time, perhaps. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview uh, with Peter. We really enjoyed uh, actually talking to Peter for the first time. Soon after, uh, soon after that uh, interview concluded, uh, we lost the internet connection for a little while, and so uh, we uh, did pretty well getting that all all done and dusted in one take. Yeah, and here we were just saying no more dodgy internet connections. Oh well, <laughs> maybe just a few. 
Well, from here, once we get this podcast together, and I guess if you're listening to this, this means that we have been successful in that endeavor, we're going to head out on a bike path. It's going to take us across most of Wisconsin and into Michigan, and in about 10 days we're hoping to be in Sudbury, then down to Perry Sound, and across to Ottawa. And from there, we'll almost be back to our starting point, so it literally is a case of the end is really almost within sight. Yeah, Montreal, we're considering as our uh, round-the-world end, start, stop, location so uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing the big city yeah and after that anything is uh, anything we cycle after that is just bonus points I guess or we may just buy a car in Montreal we really have no idea send us your ideas for what life should be like after cycling we'd love to hear them you can do that through our website or just email us us at traveling2.com thanks for listening Uh, see you on the road see you on the road bye bye